Well, thank you very much to Frank and Sylvia for reading for us this morning. And Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of your Holy Word, and we pray that now by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us through what we have heard and what we're about to hear. We pray for the help of your Holy Spirit that you would meet each of us where we are. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? If you're uh, close to one of the Pew Bibles, it might be handy to turn to Ephesians chapter uh, 1, as you want to follow that. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, which Sylvia read for us a moment ago. Now this morning we come to the second in our series of Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus, And we're looking at the church as God sees it. And right at the outset in this letter to the Christians in Ephesus, we have an overwhelming sense of praise and prayer. Verses 3 to 14 are actually in the original one sentence. It's as though Paul is overwhelmed by prayer and praise towards God. He ascends to the heights of the glory and majesty of God. And in this great song of praise, he goes in great detail into the amazing riches that we possess in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. All those who are in Christ are blessed. All those who describe themselves as Christians, who have trusted in Jesus, are blessed. Now is that how we see ourselves? Well here, in verses 15 to 23, Paul prays, that God would open the eyes of the Christians in Ephesus, but also open our eyes to grasp something of the fullness of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to be the people of God. He says in verse 17 to 19, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the incomparably great power for us who believe. For a healthy Christian life, it's important that we follow Paul's example and have this balance of praise and prayer. Because without it, we can either forget that God has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, or we can become complacent having no desire to understand or experience more deeply what we have in Christ. I once read of the late American newspaper publisher called William Randolph Hearst, 
who invested a fortune in collecting art treasures from around the world. One day, Mr. Hurst found a description of some valuable items that he felt he must own. And so he sent his agent abroad to find them. After months of searching, the agent reported that he had finally found the treasures. They were in Mr. Hurst's own warehouse. Hurst already possessed these treasures, yet he was unaware of it. He had frantically gone to great expense, seeking something that he already had. And if he'd looked at the catalogue of his treasures, he would have saved himself a great deal of trouble. And Paul here wants the Ephesians and us to understand what spiritual treasure we have in Christ. And in order to fulfill that quest, we must guard against amnesia, forgetting God's promises, forgetting his blessings, but we also need to guard against complacency if we are to know and experience the rich privilege of Jesus more deeply. So as Paul does in Ephesians 1, we need to do the same. We need to keep praising God that in Jesus all spiritual blessings are ours and to keep praying that we and others will know the fullness of what he's given. And here Paul prays for the Ephesians and us to know and to understand and experience the fullness of what God has given us in Christ. And for this reason, ever since Paul heard about the Ephesians' faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints, he has not stopped giving thanks to God for them and praying for them. Is that something you do regularly for those sitting around about you in church this morning? Do you fervently and faithfully thank God for them? Thank God for that common calling that we have as the people of God, as believers. Here Paul is a wonderful example to us of faithfulness in thanking God and faithfulness in praying for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to do the same. But you know, despite his continuous gratitude for them and for their faith and for their love, Paul isn't content with that. Here was a church that was growing. Individuals were growing in their faith. It was also growing numerically. But Paul wasn't contented with that. Because the church in Ephesus is the same as the church in Barrow and the church in all places and in all time. We're all works in progress. That God who has called us hasn't finished with us yet. Thankfully, you'll be pleased to know that I'm a work in progress. That God hasn't finished with me yet. But the same is true for every one of us. 
And what Paul's desire for these people in his gratitude to God for them was that they would know and appreciate even more of their calling as the people of God. And that's why he prays for them and for us. Here he doesn't pray that they'll receive a second blessing, but rather that they may appreciate to the fullest possible extent the implications of what it means to be blessed by God himself and the blessings we have already received. You know, the prayer in verses uh, 17 and 18 is that you may know. That you may know what? That you may know God better. That our knowledge of him might increase. Is that something you pray for yourself on a daily basis? Because it ought to be part of our daily prayer activity and our request to God. That we would know God better. That we would know the hope to which he has called you. That you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his saints. The certainty that this life isn't all there is but that Jesus has gone ahead and prepared a place in his kingdom for all who trust in him. Heaven, our heavenly home. Do you recognize that glorious inheritance that we have as the saints of God? Or are we no different to those who wouldn't describe themselves as Christians when we plunge into despair and uncertainty? We can do that, can't we? All of us can do that. But God doesn't want us to be imprisoned by that uncertainty. He wants us to be liberated and to set free from the inheritance that is ours as the people of God. And he wants us to know his great power. Paul had heard of their faith and of their love, but maybe the Christians in Ephesus were lacking in hope. And that might sometimes be true of us. Hope that when we're in the thick of it, when things aren't always going the way we would hope, that we can become overwhelmed by that. We can look for solutions in all sorts of directions rather than to the God who is faithful, who is steadfast and sure, the one in whom we have an anchor that is firm and sure. Well, God wants us to know that security, that confidence, even when things around about us seem to be falling apart. That even in those contexts, we might know his peace and, yes, his joy. That's what God longs for, for all his people. And that was God, uh, Paul's prayer, that they may know those things. And it ought to be our prayer, both for ourselves and also for the church family here at St. George's. Growth in knowledge, growth in understanding and experience is linked to something else. It's linked to growth in holiness. How we all need to know that better. 
One of the greatest needs within the church today is that of holiness. Be holy as I am holy, declares the Lord. And I speak to my own heart first and foremost within that. How we all need to know God better, both personally and intimately. But how are we to have such knowledge and understanding? Well, such understanding comes from and through the Holy Spirit, who gives wisdom and revelation. For he is the Spirit of truth, the teacher of God's people. Thus we need to pray for the Holy Spirit of God, who dwells within us, to inform us and to shape us and to empower us and to enable us to be the people that God has released us to be. You see, with his natural mind, man or woman cannot understand the things of God. So we may have a brilliant mind or we may have a poor mind. Well, actually, that doesn't really matter within the scheme of things because in understanding the truth about God, we need his spirit to enlighten us. And the Holy Spirit dwells in all who will receive him, who have accepted Jesus, no matter what our background, no matter what our status, no matter what it is. That invitation comes to all. The Holy Spirit reveals truth to us from God's word and then gives us the wisdom to understand it and to apply it. That's why, you know, whenever we read God's word in a service like this uh, and whenever we are taught from God's word like this, it's important to pray, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal God to us. I was talking to uh, a lady at St. Aidan's this morning who was telling me about a problem that she'd had with an eye. And she says, it's as though a film had come over my eye and I couldn't see things very clearly. And I said, well, on the one hand, Doreen, that was good because with respect, when you look in a mirror or when you look at me, you won't see those wrinkles and those grey hairs and things like that. It's a distortion of how things really are. But thankfully, the blurredness have gone and she's thankful for that. But you know, so often, God's blessings become blurred because actually, we don't seek the help of his spirit to grasp them and to let them inform our hearts and minds. And so Paul keeps asking that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better and that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope of God's call, God's inheritance and God's power. How we need to ask the glorious Father for the Spirit's ministry of illumination and opening of our inner eyes, the eyes of our minds and wills and hearts so that we can understand the sheer awesomeness and amazement that God who created the universe, who sent his son to die on a cross, should love and call people like you and me.
because he does. That's the sort of God he is. And it's when we come to that understanding that we really grasp something of the hope and purpose of God's call. Paul goes on to say, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. God calls us back to the very beginning of our Christian lives. Our call on him to save us was a response to his call to us. But what did God call us for? Well, in Romans 1, Paul writes that God has called us to belong to Jesus Christ and into fellowship with him. He also goes on to say that we're called to be saints. And so we've got Saint Pat with us this morning. We've got Saint Jean with us this morning. We've got Saint Derek with us this morning. Do you see yourselves as being surrounded by saints? Because you are, if those people have committed their lives to Christ. Yet often we associate sainthood with some form of perfection. The reality is, none of us are. But, because we belong to Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in him. And so as Christians, in the Bible's understanding, we're all saints. And you know, in grasping that, it actually says something of our status before God. But also, I think it says something of the importance of how we value and respect one another how we treat one another, how we behave towards one another as the people of God. He goes on to say about the importance of being called to be holy. I've already mentioned that. The holy people of God were also called to be free, to be set free. I wonder, often people see the church or being a Christian as something of an imprisonment, of something that prevents you from being who you believe you really are. Well, the reality is that as Christians we've been rescued. We've been rescued from Satan's clutches. You see, we're either with God and submit to him, or without him, And when we don't turn to God, then actually, perhaps inadvertently, we're submitting to Satan and pandering to what he wants. You know, there's a battle going on in the world today between good and evil, between God and the devil. And we either give our allegiance to Christ, or we don't. And when we don't, then we give our allegiance to the other. Now, we might not always want to articulate it in that way, But that's the reality of it. We're either with Christ or we're against him. And you know, one of the great tools that Satan uses in the lives of all people, but also in the lives of Christians, is to rob us of that peace, of that joy, of that knowledge of God's love for us. He will do whatever he can to bring us back into 
his allegiance rather than God's. And so thankfully, as well as God calling us to be free, to be the people he created us to be, he's also given us his power, both to be that people, to fulfill that calling, but also to resist the snare and the temptations of the evil one. But while we might enjoy peace within the Christian fellowship, the reality is we will experience opposition. And that will come in all sorts of guises. Those things, those people who might try to detract us from fulfilling God's will, who might try to create doubt and uncertainty within our minds of the blessing and the certain hope that we have of eternal life. And that's why fellowship, coming together like this, is important. You know, when the opposition comes, we're not to retaliate. No, instead, we're to live a life worthy of our calling, and we're to press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenwards in Christ Jesus. In other words, not to be distracted from getting on with living life to the full as Christ longs for for every person. So what is our purpose as Christians, as the people of God? Well, I think a man called John Stott, who wrote many Christian books and was indeed a godly man and now rests secure with Christ, he sums up the things we've been thinking about this morning very well, in my opinion. And this is what he writes. All this was in God's mind when he called us. He called us to Christ and holiness, to freedom and peace, to suffering and glory, a call to a new life in which we know, love, obey and serve Christ, enjoy fellowship with him and with each other, and look beyond our present suffering to the glory which one day will be revealed. This is the hope to which he has called us. Paul prays that our eyes may be opened to know it. And thankfully, we're not expected to achieve this purpose in our own strength. Indeed, we cannot. Thus Paul also prays that we may know God's incomparably great power for us who believe. You see, Paul dwells on the greatness of God's power because only God's power can fulfill the hope of God's call and bring us safely home to heaven. To what extent do you and I rely on the power of God or do we look at the power within ourselves, the power of human resources, the power of the state? Well, here Paul exhorts the Christians in Ephesus to depend and rely on the very power of God himself. But how will we come to know this incomparably great power of God? Well, because God has given us a public demonstration of it in the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus. And you know, it's depicted for us every time we gather in St. George's Church Because depicted in the east window is the ascension, when Jesus' earthly physical work was complete. 
And this is what that ending of the reading said in verses 19 to 23. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in his heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every even title that can be given, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way you know often I come across people whose lives are burdened burdened by guilt burdened by failure often sometime in the past burdened by uh, a, a fear because they failed to do something which they know in their hearts they ought to have done or they did something which they know in their hearts they know they ought not to have done and the burden of that guilt of that fear just weighs them down and crushes them and strangles if you like the life from within them it's almost like a rabbit before headlights they become static and consumed by it And that may sometimes be true of us. There may be things in our lives which Satan wants to use to imprison us, to hold us back from knowing God's joy and God's love and God's peace. And what we need to do with those things is we need to take them to Jesus and we need to place them at his cross. And you know what? We need to leave them there. Because he said it is finished. He is dealt with all sin, past, present and future. And he has liberated us. He has set us free to be his people. The resurrection and the ascension were a decisive demonstration of the power of God in Christ. That he has conquered both evil and death and therefore can rescue us from both. If we have trusted Christ, we are now intimately joined with him who is above all things as members of the body, his body, the church. He is the head over everything. You know, when we grasp that amazing truth, it lifts us out of any small-mindedness or spiritual apathy we might have and we're encouraged to stand firm and to spread the good news. Because that's the calling of all of us as well, to spread what we have learned, what God has revealed to us with others, that they too might be free. You know, this time next year, there's going to be a mission, an outreach in Barrow. Churches are going to be working together. It's called Believe in Barrow. And it's a two-pronged thing because within the town there are those with low aspirations or low self-esteem. There are those who are imprisoned in a variety of ways for a variety of reasons. And we need to believe both in ourselves as people within these communities, but we also need to believe in Christ who gives us wholeness and meaning. 
And so next year, churches will be working together for Believe in Barrow. The Archbishop of York will be joining us as part of that, uh, and also uh, he'll bring a team with him. But more importantly, they'll be working with believers here in Barrow. And whether it's a special occasion like that, or whether it's the bread and butter every day, God wants us to be ready to share that glorious hope that is ours. And he wants to help us to do that. Because for many of us, it scares us stiff. But actually, the power of Christ within us can make all things possible. You see, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Do you believe it? Well, if you do, it will revolutionize your life. It will revolutionize the church. It will revolutionize Barrow. At the very least, it should fill our prayers. Thanks be to God. Amen.